0: Well, good morning. Again, I want to welcome those of you who are here today and are guests with us. We're so glad you're here. This is actually our second service of the morning. We have a 930 service that meets just down the hall prior to this, and we also have many folks who join us each week uh, through our live stream and our podcast, so we welcome to all of you, and I want to pay a special uh, recognition to uh, Mr. Hayes, Ms. Taylor, and Principal Fagans from uh, Landon Middle School, our partner there for this, we're entering our seventh year, so if you would give a nice warm welcome to the the, uh, administration from Landon Middle School. We're really glad to have you guys with us today, and uh, again, are just looking forward to continuing a great partnership. You heard earlier about our prayer walking that we do. Uh, we've done it for several years, the Sunday before the first day of school, and so we will be doing that immediately after this service, and you don't have to have signed up. You can just join us either at Landon or at Douglas Anderson, uh, as close to the flagpole as you can legally get. I have to say that at 930 so they don't jump any fences, but just get as close as you can to the flagpole, and we'll prayer walk the school. We've got a prayer guide for you and then at one o'clock if you'd like to join uh, we've got a group that will also be prayer walking over at Inglewood High School as well so we are excited to begin a new school year um, you know the song that always comes to my mind with now that Sherry and I have four kids and they're all you know in the in school and every time it comes this time of year we think of the Christmas song it's the most wonderful time of the year <laughs> they don't think of that song but we do As I was thinking about uh, the beginning of the school year, you know, one of the things that we always pray for our kids as we pray for their teachers is that they'll have teachers who truly love the subject that they're teaching. Uh, because you remember, as do I, the, the difference between a teacher that you have who knows a lot of information about a subject but doesn 't really love the subject. Anybody have teachers like that? maybe maybe you were like i didn 't have a lot of teachers like that, but there was a big difference between a teacher who really loved what they were teaching and a teacher who just knew a lot about what they were teaching and so there were many times in the course of my school career and, and i 've seen it in my kids lives as well where they will say, well I really don't like whatever the subject is. Uh, I said that. I really don't like this subject. And, um, and then I would, there would be a new school year and I'd have a new teacher and something about that teacher I would all of a sudden say, I love that subject. Now the subject was exactly the same. In my case it was always science. But, but the subject was always the same. The difference was what the teacher brought to it. Not so much about what they knew about it. Because I had a lot of well-informed teachers, but the difference between a teacher who seemed to be overflowing with just energy and enthusiasm for what they t- taught and a teacher who just could make something kind of dry. And, and, and it, it seemed like going to that class was something that sort of sucked life out of me. It didn't give me life. It required a lot of me. It was hard. It was something that was very difficult, and, and it felt like this. But then the same exact, same exact subject with the right teacher, felt like this. It just felt like there was something flowing out of that teacher. It felt like there was something that they had to offer that I wanted to, I wanted to know more. I wanted to drink it in deeply. We've all had experiences like this, and I think when it comes to our faith and our religion, the same thing can be true. There are many times that you can approach somebody, and you, you know that they're a person of faith They may have all the right answers and know all the right things, but but you look at them and there's really nothing life-giving about them. They're dry. Actually, they're longing for something themselves. Like you feel if you got too close to them, whatever in you that is living might get sucked into them because they're so desperate for some life in them. And then there are other people that you meet whose faith seems to be living and it seems to be flowing and you just walk up to them and there just seems to be saturation and and it splashes up on you and it brings you life and it brings you Hope And and you've known people like this. We've all met people like this. Uh, For those of you who are here today and maybe you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, it, it may be these very Christians that have said, I'm not so sure I want much to do with that. But I would suggest today that Jesus has called us to be this kind of Christian a Christian that is full and overflowing, that's the source of life, that, that that something flows out of us into the lives of others bringing refreshing and renewal and life. But too many times as we go through the challenges of life and we just get squeezed, don't we? Just things start draining it out of us. A challenge, a health crisis, a, a, a trouble with a child, a difficult situation in our marriage, our finances, and and we find ourselves feeling squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And before we know it, we, who used to be that sponge, look a lot more like this sponge. So I want to talk about that today. Jesus had something really important to say to us about this. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to John chapter 7. If you've been traveling with us uh, this month, you know we've been in uh, the Gospel of John this entire, uh, John chapter 7, this entire month. And this will be our last message from John 7. And it's actually a few verses that we skipped last week. So if you were afraid I skipped them, I did, in order to talk specifically just about these few verses today because it's got something so important to say to us. And if you're here and you're a Christian and you can identify yourself more with the sponge that's on my left than the one that's on my right, I hope you'll listen to the words of Jesus And I hope by the time you leave today, you can find your way back to the source of living water that can flow out of you again. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37, and uh, I'm reading from the ESV. On the last day of the feast, the greatest, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now before we get to what exactly Jesus said, it's important for us to know what's going on here in this passage. Jesus uh, has been in Jerusalem kind of incognito. He, his brothers encouraged him to come back and perform some miracles, uh, recapture his following. He had lost some followers in John chapter 6. was pretty much just down to him and the 12 disciples. His brothers had said, come back. There's a big festival in Jerusalem. Do some tricks. Get some attention to yourself and rehabilitate your reputation there. Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. But he did go back to Jerusalem and he kind of lurked around the edges of this festival. And he listened to things that people were saying and heard some of the things that they were saying about him the jews the jewish leaders were actually seeking to kill jesus they had decided that they had heard enough that this guy was trouble and that he needed to be silenced and so there was a group of people who were seeking to kill jesus and so jesus has been in this festival for several days he's been silent and something caused him to cry out and i would suggest whatever it was had to be pretty important How do I know that? Because if you knew that there were people in the crowd who were seeking to kill you, it would take something pretty important for you to cry out and make yourself known, wouldn't it? Something had welled up inside of Jesus. Something that he had seen, something that he experienced, and he just, he cried out, and he began to teach something. Now, before we get to exactly what it was that Jesus said, you need to understand this festival to perhaps catch a glimpse of what sparked jesus to be so passionate and to risk his life to say this the 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 festival that jesus was attending is called the festival of tabernacles or sometimes it's called the festival of booths if you remember the old testament story of g of moses delivering the children of israel out of out of egypt out of slavery he took them to the promised land but they were not willing to go in and so god said okay you don't want to go in i'll let you wander around in the desert for 40 years And so 40 years, Moses led the children of Israel around in the desert. And there were probably more than a million people following Moses around in the desert for how long? 40 years. Now, if you're in the desert with a million people, what is one resource that you're probably lacking? Water. Very good. No water. How do you give a million people water For forty years, they were they were thirsty. So the festival of booths, the festival of tabernacles that Jesus was going to, was the Jews' way of continuing to teach future generations about this forty year period. So every year they would get set aside these eight days, and they would build tents out in their lawns or up on their roofs. There would be festivals in Jerusalem that would go on, and people would basically camp out for eight days to remind their children this is what it was like for our ancestors when they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. One of the problems that they had was they didn't have enough water. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 17, there is an encounter that Moses has that really informs one of the rituals in this, in this festival. And there, were no, there was no water for the people to drink. Exodus 17 verse 1, no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. We're thirsty. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So they were pretty desperate. Things were getting pretty rough. And so Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, behold, I will stand before you. Who was standing before Moses? God. Yes, this is God speaking. I will stand before you. God said, I will stand before you there where? On the rock. rock. So God is standing before Moses on the rock, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So this is important for us to understand what was going on. We, we, Moses probably didn't understand the meaning behind this. God had told Moses to do lots of things that didn't make sense. Moses just sought to do in obedience what he understood God was calling him to do. But in this particular case, it seemed awfully odd that God would say, I'm going to go before you, I'm going to stand on this rock in front of the people, and you're going to take the staff that you have, and you're going to hit the rock where I'm standing. In other words, you're going to strike... My presence on the rock and water is going to come out. Now, in this festival where they marked remembering these 40 years in the desert, one of the highlights of the festival was the water ceremony where the priest would go and he would get a basin of water and he would process through the people and he would pour the water out in front of the people and the water would run down in front of them. And it was to be a reminder of how God had brought water out of the rock. So on this, the feast, on the great day, as Jesus is watching this, something is welling up inside of him, and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. See, this was more than a dry, dead, religious ritual to Jesus. This was pointing to some greater truth that people were not seeing, and that they were dying for want of it. For years and years and years, they had come to these religious festivals and they'd watch the priest pour the water out, but it did nothing to satisfy what was truly, truly lacking inside of them. The thirst that they had, even as Moses struck the wa- rock and water flowed out, what was going to happen? But they were going to be thirsty again, and they were going to be thirsty again, and they were going to be thirsty again, but God planted an image in the minds of the people that as the rock was struck, a source of unending water, a source of life would flow out of the rock. And Jesus, Jesus as he's in this festival, he is crying out to them, I am the source of living water that you need. I am the rock that will be struck. And because Jesus would be struck, streams of living water would flow out to bring life to all who would come and drink. See, this was a dead ritual. Jesus said, I am the real thing. Look what he said in verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The water would be an unending source and it would be inside of those who believed in Jesus, who would come to him and who would believe in him. This river of living water. Now John tells us what this river of living water is. He says in verse 39, "Who, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now I want to have this conversation about the Holy Spirit, because this passage, that's what Jesus is clearly talking about, this river of life that flows out, this source of joy and hope and life-giving, refreshing water that comes out. Jesus said, that's the Spirit. That's the difference between uh, a dry, dead religion and life-giving faith. It's the Spirit. So I want to talk just a little bit about it, because a lot of times, and I can talk bad about Baptists, because I've been one my whole life as Baptists, a lot of times we, we're really comfortable talking about God the Father, and we like to talk about Jesus because we can see him, we can, we can hear his teachings, we, something that we can get a hold of, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we so often treat him like the uncle at the, at the family reunion, that we're not really sure what to do with him. He just is sort of there, and we don't discuss him much, but, but look at the Old Testament. Anytime you read about the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, it's always interchangeable with the presence of God. That there's a sense in which God is present as his spirit hovers over the deep at the creation. And God spoke and life life burst forth. The presence of God, the spirit of God is there. But something happened. And, And whereas... Whereas the Spirit of God, the presence of God, was with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, it doesn't take long until we realize there's a separation that happens. Adam and Eve are hiding. They're trying to hide from the Spirit, from the presence of God, and we know that it was the introduction of sin. Something was broken inside of humanity, and from that moment forward, as humans, there's something inside of us that seeks to be away from the light. It's why sometimes we prefer darkness. It's why we prefer secrecy, because... The parts of us that are broken can, can, can survive better in the secret. And so just like that, that, mankind has sort of sought to hide from the spirit, from the presence of God. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, God says something very interesting. He says, my spirit cannot contend with mankind forever. In other words, this state of brokenness and the spirit of God don't coexist well. But there was a promise of something better to come. God began to promise, but my spirit will come, and my spirit will dwell with my people again, that there will be union between God and man again, until you read in the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, where God says, I will pour out my spirit, the image is one of water, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, that it won't just be reserved for the priests Because they were born in the right tribe and it won't just be reserved for the prophets as they speak in my name. That my spirit will flow out and it will pour on everybody. And the the Jews had longed for and waited for this day. The day when once again there would be no separation between mankind and God. That God would dwell with man again. That we would be reunited with God in perfect union. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus begins to teach and Jesus begins to tell people that there's a way to be reunited with God. But there's going to have to be a price that's going to have to be paid. And Jesus says to his disciples shortly before his death, he says, listen, they're, they're worried about him leaving. He keeps talking that he's going to go away and the disciples are very uncomfortable. And Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 16, listen, guys, it's better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, then I'll send the Holy Spirit who will come. And he will take up residence inside of you. You see, there's only so close that we can get, isn't it? I mean, physically. You think of the person that you love the most. You think of the person that you have the most intimate relationship with. There's only so close you can get physically. And God has constantly been yearning to draw closer and closer to the heart of mankind. To take up residence inside of us that we might be inhabited by him. And Jesus says, when I die, when my body is broken, when I am struck, there will be a river of life that will flow out of me. And just like the prophet Joel said, it will spill out on all mankind. And so if you remember the story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, Jesus left and he told the disciples, go wait in the upper room. And as you wait in the upper room, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. And so sure enough, they're in the upper room and they're waiting and suddenly there's a wind. The scripture describes it as a wind and and this wind comes in and all of a sudden the church is miraculously empowered. They're able to preach the good news of the gospel in languages they don't even know. And from that small room, which is maybe a hundred or so people in it, the river, the torrent of life began to flow out of there as the church and the message of the gospel spread all through the Middle East and all across the Roman Empire to the point today that it's in every corner of the globe, that the Spirit of God comes and inhabits his people, and there flows a river of life out of his church, bringing life to a dry and a thirsty land. You see, this is the difference between dead religion and living faith. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. You see, it doesn't matter what we know. It doesn't matter what we say we believe. What matters is, are we being filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit so much so that all we have to do is rub up against people and it pours out on them and it gives them life and it gives them hope. This is the difference that Jesus was talking about to his crowd, to this crowd of people who gathered there. And I believe it's the same message that he's speaking to us today. But here's what we do. We, we make two mistakes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We over-intellectualize him. Like you hear everything I said, and for those of you who are interested, you could go back and read all those scripture passages and even more, and you can intellectualize the Holy Spirit. Or you can go the other extreme, and we confuse him with some sort of hyper-emotionalism devoid of any intellect at all. And we've all seen those you know, seen, seen those maybe worship experiences or watched those TV channels, and you say, well, I don't want anything to do with that hyper-emotionalism, so maybe we treat, retreat over here to hyper-intellectualism. Here's the thing you need to know. Satan is completely satisfied with either mistake that you make. See, because without the Holy Spirit, he knows that our faith and our religion is completely dead. He doesn't tremble when we concede to the existence of some higher power. He doesn't even mind when we can intellectually agree to the, historic, the existence of a historical Jesus. But he cannot stand for a person to acknowledge and live their life in the flow and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when that happens, things change. Lives are transformed. Communities are altered. But it comes from a source It comes from a source inside of the believer that they themselves cannot tap into unless unless they listen to what Jesus said in this passage of Scripture. So how do we get it? How do we have it? How do we stay connected to it? Jesus says in this passage, I think it's important for us to know there are three things. First, he says there's an admission of thirst. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. That we have to be willing to say that I've been looking for satisfaction in all the other things of this world, but yet I only find myself thirsty for more and more and more. And so we think, well, I can get some sort of life and satisfaction from some hobby. But the longer I do the hobby, the more I have to give myself to the hobby to get the same level of satisfaction, the same way it is with any sort of addiction or, or, or addictive behavior that you have. I find some temporary satisfaction in the bottom of a prescription bottle or the bottom of an alcohol bottle. But, but it takes more and more of the same thing to bring the same level of satisfaction. And it. when it's all gone, I only find myself drier than I was when I started. Or maybe we find ourselves saying, I'm going to find satisfaction in a relationship. And so we want to find somebody like this, don't we? Everybody who's like this wants to find somebody like this who's got life in them. And so we, we connect ourselves to them and we soak as much life out of them as we can. We leave them dry, and then we find ourselves dry again, and we think, well, that relationship didn't work, so let me find another relationship that will work. There's something inside of us that's longing for something more. And, and, and Jesus says, I've got what you need, but you have to first admit that I am thirsty. In Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah speaks to the people of God, and he says something that I think is so relevant for us. He says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Come on, this is where many of us have been before. This is where some of us are now, where we think I'll go dig my own well to bring satisfaction to what the deepest thirst of my soul is. And God says, you've made two mistakes when you've done that, two You've abandoned me, the only source of living water, and you've gone about and dug broken wells. And they're traps, aren't they? I mean, a broken well, you fall into it and you're trapped inside of it. And Jesus, looking at this crowd, who's captured by dead, lifeless religion, says, you have dug a cistern that is broken, but I am the source of living water. So the first thing is we admit there's a thirst. The second thing is we come to Jesus. This is is what Jesus' invitation was. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. See, the Spirit ultimately came because Jesus was struck. Because Jesus endured persecution and death on the cross so that springs of living water could flow from him and be available to anyone who would come and drink. Jesus' invitation is to come to him. This is one of the things I love about the teachings of Jesus Jesus never sends people to other places. If you read other religious, great religious thinkers and great religious writers, they're constantly sending their followers somewhere else to find what it is that satisfies their soul. Jesus never does that. Jesus always says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Come to me and I will give you springs of living water that will flow out of you. And then third, and maybe this is the most important thing for the majority of us here today, Admit you're thirsty, come to Jesus, and then third, you have to remain in him. And his word has to remain in you. See, the only difference between this sponge and that sponge is this bowl of water. If I took this sponge out of this bowl and set it here long enough, it would eventually look exactly like that sponge. Jesus told his disciples, he said, unless you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll be like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Why does it wither? Because it's no longer connected. It's no longer saturated with the love and the joy that Jesus says that he has to offer and to give. And so listen, Christian, if you're here, the only difference between these two is that this sponge remains immersed In the water. And Jesus' invitation for us is to remain immersed inside of him. We're thirsty. The church in America is thirsty. You see, when people look at many Christians, when they look at many churches, they just see something that seeks to take. You see, this sponge is in a state where it's ready to receive. That's all it's good for. It's only ready to just take and to receive. And that's how so many people look at Christians. What do, what do you want from me? To look at the church, what do you want from me? And I think what Jesus is saying to Christians and what Jesus is saying to his church is that's not the way that the world should look at us. The world should look at us as a spring of living water that those who are thirsty would come and say, I need this water. I need what it is you have. And as we gather here in this place, here's what you need to know. There is no way that the church can do what individual Christians are unwilling to do. If we come together, church, and our assumption is we'll just be a bunch of dry sponges that we'll meet together, we will just be a warehouse of dry sponges that seeks to soak all it can in from our community. But if, if instead each one of us seeks to live our life connected to the vine, immersed in the Spirit, then when we come together, there's a spring of living water that flows out of each one of you. And it doesn't just spill out of you when you gather here. Oh, no. <laughs> More importantly, it spills out of you as, you as you walk through the streets of San Marco, as you engage with people in businesses, as you work at, go into your workplace, as you go into the schools, there's life that flows out of you. But I've got to tell you, if all you think that, will, that is required for such life to be in you is that you show up on a Sunday morning, you are no different than the people that Jesus was speaking to in John chapter 7. Because I can't give you a river of living water. We cannot give you a river of living water here. The only way it happens is for you to be totally immersed in God and his word. And listen, we need this, don't we? Aren't there people in your lives who need this? Don't they need you to be that sponge? Aren't there people who are dry and maybe the only way that they'll ever even receive uh, any sense of refreshing or renewal is the water that might spill out of you? But if this is you, you've got nothing to give. If this is us, we've got nothing to give. This is why for the next several weeks, we as a church are gonna set aside a 40-day period that we're calling 40 Days of Awakening. And we're beginning next Sunday in a sermon series called Awakening. And I hope you'll come and be a part of this challenge. Uh, we're going to ask you to take the 40 days of awakening challenge and, and I'm, I'm setting it up for you now so that you can begin to prepare yourself for what it is. W- what is it? It's one hour every day between, with you and the Lord. If your schedule's like mine, that sounds like an awfully big mountain to climb. It's going to require some people to get up an hour earlier. It's going to require some people to stay up an hour later. It's going to require some people to skip lunch. It's going to require some people to set down their electronic devices or their video games or turn the television off, but, but here's what you need to know. The only way to be this sponge is to be immersed in the presence of God, to come to Christ through reading his word, through prayer, through meditation. But you can only soak up what you're willing to sacrifice in terms of your own well, the wells that you have dug. Because that leads to the second thing, a 40-day fast. We're gonna ask you, to identify something in your life that's a distraction from spiritual renewal. And it's going to be something different for most people. It may be sports right at the beginning of the football season, men, some ladies. It, it may be television. It may be news. It may be media. It may be Internet. Maybe social media. It could be food itself. I don't know what it is for you. I've got a great idea what it is for me, and I'm not going to tell you. But what is it for you? Would you be willing for 40 days to just say, I am not going to that broken well? I am not going to that broken well. And instead, I'm going to take whatever energy I would have invested in that broken well, and I'm going to immerse myself in God's presence that I might have a living faith inside of me. And finally, we're going to ask you to engage with other believers because this is not something we can do alone. We need accountability, don't we? We need other people people who are faithful brothers and sisters. We need small groups. We need people who will walk beside us on this journey and help hold us accountable. So this is the challenge that we're going to issue to you and invite you to be a part of in the next few weeks as we just study this idea of what does it mean to be fully spiritually alive and spiritually awake. But you don't have to wait for September 2nd. And you don't have to wait for next week for the beginning of a new sermon series, some of you are so thirsty and dry today that you need to understand and know that the offer is there for you. As you came in th- this morning, uh, hopefully everyone received a, a small dry sponge. No, it was not. It was not food. We had somebody at nine thirty who said, "I thought that was a snack." <laughs> you received a sponge, uh, just a small piece of a sponge, and and today as we close the service. Uh, as we prepare to do our time of invitation, we're gonna do just a little bit of a, a different invitation to you today. There are, there are four bowls of water up here, two on the steps and two on these, on these pillars here. And if you are here and this sponge, you would say this sponge better describes you. <laughs> maybe you're here and you're that sponge. That's great. We need you to pray for everybody else, for all the rest of us. But maybe for, for those of us who feel like this sponge today, uh, just as a symbolic reminder for you, I'm going to invite you to come and just take your sponge and dip it in the water. And I'm, not, I'm going to ask you to keep the sponge as a reminder. Maybe you'd put it, um, maybe you'd tape it up on your mirror in the morning, or maybe you'd put it on your dashboard of your car, maybe you'd sit it on your desk at work, just as a remind, reminder to ask you are, you, are you coming to the source of living water, and is it flowing through you? Or are you somebody who's just seeking to take from others, to take life from any place you can find it. This is our invitation. I'm going to ask you to stand as our musicians come and as we pray together, and you just respond however the Holy Spirit is leading you to respond today. Father, we come to this time of commitment, Lord, and I recognize and know there's, there's nothing special about a torn piece of sponge and some containers of water at the front. But, Lord, there's something deep inside of us that's longing to be refreshed. There's dryness inside of all of us, Lord, that only you can satisfy. Father, for many in the room, they've been seeking to satisfy the longing in lots of different ways, only to find themselves trapped in a dry, broken well. But today, Lord, today we hear the words of Jesus as he cried out, over this religious festival. For anyone who's thirsty, come to me. And Father, we believe what Jesus said is true. We believe he keeps his promises. So for those of us who are dry, Lord, we come. We come to be renewed and restored, that there might be a river of life flowing out of us into a dry and parched land, a place that's desperate to have life and hope, and joy, and peace, and love. And Father, we would commit to say, let it flow through us. And as a church, I would commit, Lord, let it begin with me. Let it begin in my own heart. Lord, today, may we not leave a dry sponge, but may we have been filled by your Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, may we remain connected that your life might continue to flow through us. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.